it became very uh, problematic and raised a lot of, of issues as to whether or not uh, Judah was going to be able to survive. Uh, the prophet Isaiah came on the scene uh, at this point and asked the king uh, if he wanted a sign. Uh, the king was old Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz uh, was not a godly king. Uh, he, he refused to ask for a sign. Uh, and so there is a, a scripture that's given here then, and without going into all the, uh, all the different uh, connections that that scripture has, uh, Isaiah's wife was also going to have a child, but Isaiah goes into a different realm and talks about a woman and a woman who is a virgin, an unmarried woman. Now, some of you may remember that uh, there was a version of scripture that came out and they did not interpret the Old Testament as saying a virgin. They changed that to a young woman. And uh, there became a, a great deal of concern about what that translation actually was doing to this promise that was given that a virgin. So just to make it a young woman did not make it a miraculous thing because there are a lot of young women that are gonna have babies. But a virgin to have a baby, that was a real significant sign. And so, uh, in looking back in the, into the actual root of the word and what the word meant, uh, that version was shown to be a faulty <laughs> translation. And uh, so God was saying to old Ahaz, uh, there is a significant event that's going to take place for the people of Judah David's offspring, they are going to survive. This land is not going to be destroyed. There is going to be one coming that is going to be the Messiah, the promised one that has been spoken of in the scriptures. And so uh, when you read that, uh, you, can, you can really... You can really uh, have some difficulty in trying to untangle exactly what's going on there with Isaiah. Uh, Ahaz was not a godly king. He refused to ask for a sign. Uh, he acted like he was humble, uh, but he wasn't humble at all. Uh, he was rebellious, and uh, he did not want to give any allegiance at all to Isaiah's God to Jehovah God, uh, he wanted instead to continue to be resistant to God. So God said, uh, had asked Ahaz, or Isaiah had said to Ahaz, old King Ahaz, ask for a sign, he wouldn't do it. So God said, I will give you a sign. He said that through the prophet Isaiah, I will give you a sign. 
a virgin is going to conceive. So looking forward to the time in the land of Judah when Jesus was going to be born and he was going to be born of a virgin. And so we have the miracle virgin birth that was predicted in the Old Testament. Now, uh, when you think about the things that are going on here, we think about Emmanuel. Uh, we know what that means very well, don't we? We've heard it many times. It is, you young people know what it is without me telling you, and I read it in the verse. What is it? It is, Emmanuel is God with us. God with us. And so, uh, if you have a quiz at the end of service, you want to remember that. It means God with us. So, uh, I recall hearing uh, a, a preacher tell about somebody that got on an airplane. Uh, they, you know, a lot of times you're trying to talk to the person that's next to you. If they're a stranger, you're trying to, to talk to them. And uh, so, you know, what do you do and so forth. So this person that was actually a, uh, worked uh, for the church and did things for the church. Uh, and they, this person beside them said, and, and what, and, and who do you work for? And they thought, well, I, I guess, uh, I'll just tell them I work for God. And uh, so this person that uh, they told that to replied to them. They said, I used to have a boss like that. <laughs> well, they missed the whole point of what the person was saying. Uh, but there are some people that act like they're God, don't they? <laughs> and, and expect more than they should expect of you. Uh, so... When Matthew says that there was, there was born one who was Emmanuel, God with us, um, would this be something that would be accepted in the society of his day? Now think about it for a moment. Uh, look over in the, further over in the book of Matthew in chapter 22. And I'll call your attention to a scripture there. Uh, Jesus was, they were attempting to entangle him in his talk. And it was the Pharisees and uh, as the, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, Herodians were somebody, was a group of people that were loyal to old King Herod. And as such, uh, they were pretty des desperate people if they went together with the Pharisees because there were a lot of differences there. But in this case, they went together with the Pharisees, the Herodians and the Pharisees. And uh, the idea was to trick Jesus, to try to trap him in his words. And so uh, these people that were loyal to Herod and the Pharisees, who were a very uh, pious group, very, uh, very much uh, with their tradition of religiosity, uh, 
Uh, it says they took counsel how they might entangle him, Jesus, in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, and this is in Matthew 22, 16, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Now there's real hypocritical statement, isn't it? Uh, they're, they're baiting Jesus. They're, they're stroking him. They're saying, oh, we know you tell the truth. We know that, that you're here uh, saying the truth that God has given you. And you don't care about any man. You're, you're not, you're not uh, going to soften anything for anybody. Well, those, those are nice words, aren't they? All the time they're laying the trap. And they're, they're saying these things to bait Jesus. For thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? Jews had a big problem with that. Because uh, Caesar, Caesar was a person who set himself up as being God. Uh, and so the Jews had a big problem with, with paying tribute. They had to, but, but they resisted it. They didn't like it. But, but Caesar claimed to be God. Now, I want to ask you another question. Uh, we read the scripture a lot there in the book of Luke. And I'm going to come back to this one in Matthew. But this, this scripture in Luke chapter 2, we read this over and over again. It came to pass in those days, this is verse 1, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So do you know, was Augustus his last name? Do you know? <laughs> was Augustus his last name? No, it wasn't. Do you know what Augustus means? It means exalted one. Exalted one. It was a title that was conferred on him by the Roman Senate, and it was a title of veneration. In other words, deity. <laughs> that he was worthy of worship. And so we read these words, but a lot of times we don't even know what we're reading. And, you know, as I studied this, I thought, well, I've never heard that. I've never heard anybody say that. Yeah, it means the exalted one. So, okay, so go back to Matthew now. Jesus, Jesus wasn't going to be tricked by them. And he wasn't going to fall into their trap. Uh, he knew how to reply to them. Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, you hypocrites? <laughs> you hypocrites. Now, show me the tribute money. Now, we're not talking about money here that was paid to the temple. That was the temple tax. Remember Jesus sent Peter to fish and that's the only episode I can think of where Peter was fishing with a line. 
Peter always fished with a net, didn't he? Because he was a commercial fisherman. And so uh, he, he sent Peter to fish with a line. He just wanted Peter to catch one fish. And the reason was he was asked, Peter was asked, does your master pay the temple tax, which was put on the males so that they would support the temple? And, and Jesus said, Peter, go down to the lake, cast your line in, and the first fish you catch. Wow, how did Jesus know that? The first fish you catch, pull that one out and open his mouth, and you're going to find a piece of money in there, and it will be enough money for you and I both to pay the temple tax. That was a different tax. That was a different that was a different thing than this. This was tribute money to Caesar. And so they're trying to trap Jesus. If he says, no, you shouldn't be paying that, then they, the Herodians would be right there to say uh, that he was, he was teaching against Caesar. He was teaching against uh, the, the kingdom that was in in trenched there by the Roman rule. Uh, if, if he said yes, uh, if, he, if he went the other way with it, uh, then the people, either way, the government would be against him or the people would be against him. And so Jesus said this to them. Jesus said, uh, show me the tribute money. And they brought to him a coin. It says here a penny, a coin. And uh, he saith unto them, Whose image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Thus said he unto them, Then said he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Well, Caesar's always been getting his, hasn't he? But God don't always get his, does he? <laughs> yeah. And so... Where, where is the image of God stamped? It's stamped on us, isn't it? And we belong to him. If we, follow, if we have accepted Christ, his image is on us. So they could produce this coin pretty quick, which showed their hypocrisy. They had the coinage. And so, uh, yes, there was, there was a God, according to Rome. And that God was Caesar, the exalted one. And he, he deserved your worship and your veneration. And thus, a lot of places there was conflict when the preaching of the gospel took place. Now we know old King Herod had his, had his thing too. Of course, he was, he was not as high as Caesar. He was just over a territory where Caesar was over the whole the whole empire and uh, had, had power over who ruled in the various sections. And that can, get, that can get quite involved. We're not going there this morning. And so, yes, there was a God. Caesar was who the God was. But now Matthew says that there is one that has been born that is God 
with us. One altogether different than Caesar. Uh, one who came not for his advantage, but for our advantage. One who came for our benefit. One who came for a blessing on our lives, not for what he could get out of us, but what he could give to us. And so, before Jesus could become Savior, he had to be Emmanuel, didn't he? He had to be a man. He had to be God with us. He had to come into our world. He had to take our nature upon himself. Not, not the sin, not the sin of, that had corrupted human nature, but he had to become fully human. Now that goes against the belief of some people that they teach that, you know, humanity, the flesh itself, and we're not talking about, we're not talking about uh, flesh in the, in the term that Paul uses at some places. We're talking about the body. We're talking about the body. That they teach the body is evil. The body is sinful. Well, the, the body has definitely been affected by sin. We feel the effects of that on our body. The more age we get on us, the more we feel the effects of sin on our body. And people are feeling the effects a great deal now with this virus that's around. Uh, I heard that uh, so many are dying of it, uh, and this is not the new variant, not the Omicron, it's from the pre-existent virus that they actually have a, a portable morgue uh, that they, they're using up north uh, in the Cleveland area. Uh, that uh, the hospitals are losing so many that they need some place to put the bodies uh, for sanitary purposes. And so they have a portable morgue. They said it hasn't, hasn't come to central Ohio, but the cheery word was, it might. <laughs> you know how cheery the news always is to help us uh, feel encouraged about things. So... Uh, we don't want to be cool on our heels in one of those places if we can help it. Uh, so, uh, sin has taken an effect on the body, but that does not mean the body in itself is sinful. It is the vehicle that people use to commit sin, and it does not mean that the, the conscience, the mind are not darkened because they are darkened by sin. And so people go into all kind of depravity and all kind of evil. But Jesus took a body, and that's what we're told in Hebrews, that sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body you have prepared for me. So he came and took on human flesh, he took on our nature, human nature. He knew what it was. Now, 
You know when we say that Jesus never committed a sin, that he never did anything that violated the law of God, it does not mean that Jesus did not ever have to learn things because that was part of his taking on our nature. When he worked in the carpentry shop with Joseph, we assume he did. We don't have any record of that in the scripture. But when he worked there, he had to learn how to run the plane the direction that it had to go on the wood so that it would produce the desired effect. Uh, there was a time as a toddler that he had to learn how to speak the words with the human tongue, even though he had made the tongue. He had to learn those things. And there were times perhaps he had to struggle, just like we do, uh, to retain things. Uh, so he was human in every respect as we are human. But he never committed sin. Uh, he, never, he never did wrong. He always, he always followed perfectly the rule and the law of God. <coughs> and so when we talk about Emmanuel, uh, I like what Matthew Henry had to say about it. He said, by the light of nature, we see God above us. God is so much more than what we are or what we can ever attain by our, by our efforts. By the light of the law, we see God against us. By the light of the law is the knowledge of sin, isn't it? We see that we have strayed, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we see by the light of the law that God is against us because of sin. <coughs> we see by the light of the gospel that God is Emmanuel, God with us, that he comes in our nature and he comes in our interest. He comes for us. And so he identifies not just in concept but in actuality with us. He knew what it was to be on this earth and he knew what it was to go through the pain of existence. He knew what it was to be thirsty when he sat there on the well and asked the woman of Samaria for a drink. He knew what it was to be thirsty. Uh, he knew what it was to be hungry when he was on the Mount of Temptation. And when Satan was tempting him to turn stones into bread, he knew what it was to be hungry and to need something to satisfy that hunger. He knew what it was to be weary, didn't he? It looked in one passage of scripture like they actually almost carried Jesus and put him in the boat. 
so they could take him across to the other side. And he was so weary that he slept so sound <coughs> that the storm would not awaken him. They had to waken him up. And so he knew all the things about being a human being. He knew all the problems that we suffer, and yet he was without sin in every respect. He never did sin. There was never any iniquity in him. And so he was a perfect savior. <coughs> Excuse me, I'll try another cough drop here. <clears throat> and so when we say Emmanuel Emmanuel we've said oft times that Jesus was born to die he had to be Emmanuel and when we looked at the scripture a couple weeks ago in Hebrews where he did not he did not become an angel. He was lower than the angels. He took on him human flesh, and he walked among us as a human being. <clears throat> I remember some of a poem I didn't think about using it this morning, The God I Like by Lon Woodrum. <clears throat> I do not like a God who struts about, a tyrant who must storm and fuss, a glowering king whose arms are always full of thunderbolts to cast at us. The kind of God I favor most is like a carpenter of ancient days who walked among the people of his day and could not turn aside from those who labored till the sun was in the west. He stretched his holy hand to them and said, Come weary souls to me and rest. I like a God like that. He is so real. Unlike the gods high-born and grim, and as I walk the road of life, the heart of me, bows down to him. Well, that's not exactly the way Lon Woodrum had it, but that's somewhat close and enough for you to get the idea that Jesus became one of us, walked among us, showed us the love that God has for us, and by becoming a man, he humbled himself, the Hebrew writer says, and came, became obedient even to death, even to the death of the cross. Remember when Peter straightened him out, when Jesus was talking about he was going to go up to Jerusalem and, and he was going to die? Peter had just made the great statement of faith. <clears throat> we believe you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus talked about going to Jerusalem that he was going to give his life at Jerusalem. And uh, Peter thought Jesus needed a lowest instruction. 
Peter took him over to the side and said, Lord, be that far from you. <laughs> You're not going to do that thing. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. For you savor not the things that belong to God, but the things that belong to men. You don't realize the mission that I have, the things that I, the thing that I have to do in order to bring salvation. And so, in order for Jesus to be our Savior, he had to be God with us. He had to come and journey among us. And he had to show us that, yes, as a man, he could identify in every way with us as God. He never committed any sin, but he went all the way to Calvary to give his life for us. And he becomes our Savior. So, Emmanuel, yes, and he's going to be called Jesus because he is going to save his people from their sins. So, the great, the great message of Christmas is that we have a Jesus that loves us. We have a Jesus who was tempted at all points as we are, yet without sin. We have a Jesus that understands. You can never get down on your knees and say, Jesus, you don't understand. He does understand. He knows all about us. And yet, he can give us the strength of God to resist temptation, to do what's right, to live lives that bring honor and glory to God, but also bring fulfillment to us. He can do that because he was obedient in every respect and because he loves us so much. He loves us so much. He gave himself for us.